Well, we just got back from Colorado, and on this week's episode, we're going to talk all about how it went. This is the Beyond Hunter Ed podcast, where the focus is on all the questions you wish were answered in the classroom and quite a few more. So whether you're an accomplished lifer or a complete newbie, and you're looking to discuss all topics hunting in an entertaining and unfiltered way, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Eric Jaitner. Hey, welcome back. I'm joined today by my dad, and we wanted to let you know exactly how we went. So, Dad, how was Colorado? Uh, it's gorgeous this time of year. It's uh, really one of the... Uh, Best place, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think I have the words to describe it. It is just gorgeous. The weather we experienced, we had, a, you wouldn't even call it a drizzle, and that was one night. Uh, other than that, it was uh, sunny and clear every day with highs, uh, I'm going to say, in the mid-50s. And then at night, it would get down into the mid-30s. One night, we did get down to, uh, under 30 uh, Absolutely gorgeous. Would I do it again? Uh, yeah. When are we leaving? So other than not getting an elk, you still enjoyed it. That's what I'm taking out of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yes, just being out in the backcountry is is simply amazing. I mean, uh, <laughs> all the creature comforts are gone. We No, no internet. Uh, so no fantasy football, none of that kind of stuff. It's just... You're out there in the woods, and um, we're up before the sun is, and we get back to camp uh, after the sun goes down. It's it's an experience that if you have haven't ever done it before, yeah, you have to do it. It 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 is that good. So this being your first real backcountry hunt, backcountry experience here, what advice do you have for people who are uh, saying, "Hey, I want to get into this. I want to give this a shot." Okay, my number one advice is going to be that you need to be in elk hunting shape. Okay, elk hunting shape <laughs> is not, you know, six weeks before we're going to go out. And yes, you did hear me on the podcast. Yeah, I'm going to get started getting ready. Okay, six weeks doesn't cut it. Uh, I found out that elk hunting shape is not something that you get into. It's something that you... Um, regularly do so if you're planning on a uh, especially a high altitude uh, elk hunting trip uh, in the back country where you're going to be uh, at elevations of let's say above 9,000 feet but uh, certainly below 12,000 feet if you're in that range um, the the only substitute for out there is no substitute for altitude uh, altitude is a it, it it humbles you beyond belief. Um, I have I have run uh, several marathons in my life. I, I am training for a half marathon at this point. Uh, six weeks before we left, I was doing uh, hiking with uh, my thirty pound with thirty pounds in my backpack, on uh, doing this three times a week, doing uh, stairs and things like that, and I thought I was ready. I was not ready. <laughs> uh, the altitude kicked my butt 
Um, uh, I, I can. What I can say is that. Um, okay, I, I, I have somewhat of a uh, seagoing background, and uh, what I can talk about is anchors keep a boat in place. Okay, that's a heavy object that you drop off the boat if you want to keep the boat in one place. Then we have things called sea anchors. Sea anchors is where uh, the water is too deep to drop an anchor, so you throw essentially a parachute out behind the boat, and it slows it down. Um, then the other thing that you have is no anchors at all, and you're just moving along. I was a sea anchor. I could not climb the mountains as, as, as quickly as we should. Uh, going down was better, but all the time we were out there, my opinion was that it is uphill both ways, and <laughs> and and you just it, altitude is, is 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 humbling. So my advice to anybody that wants to do a high altitude elk hunt is: first of all, it's a lifestyle, so you need to train for this year round. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, you have to be in the gym every day and you have to be running marathons, you know, every month or something like that. Now, you just have to maintain a good uh, physical fitness. Um, but you do have to get used to carrying uh, the, the, the pack with 30 to 40 pounds in it and things like that. And you need to be doing uh, things like... Um, well, I would say you need to be doing squats and lunges. That's what I was going for, squats and lunges. Because yeah. Watching you come up the hill, it, it looked like the issue was a lot of times just getting your foot up, just driving the knee up. And squats and lunges are going to really help with just, yeah, I mean, do step up, squats, lunges, get some weight on there. You don't have to be doing them super heavy, but do them heavy enough that it's going to make it easier for you walking. So... Yeah, uh, getting in shape—that's that's the that's the key, huh? Yeah, I think uh, I think getting in shape. Uh, honestly, if you want to enjoy the hunt, um, you you need to you, you need to be in shape. Um, and if you're not, you will be the sea anchor uh, for your team, and you don't want to be the sea anchor. So we spent uh, a couple days where we did kind of like get out for a little bit, come back to camp, head back out again. But we had a couple days where we just spent all day in the field. Differences, what do you think? You, you do prefer being out there all day in the field? I know for me, I really enjoy getting out there early, bringing your food along, finding a spot to lay down around noon, just kind of taking a rest and stuff, but staying in the field. I don't really like to come back to camp, but what are your takes? Being out in the field is, uh, I, I, I like that. I, yeah, I, I would agree. I don't really prefer going back uh, to, to camp. Uh, and the reason that we were going back to camp, uh, and, and I say that uh, in, in parentheses, um, we, we weren't going back to camp. We were just going to the car, and then we were going to another area to uh, check things out. So, I mean, okay, typical morning for us was we'd get up, Early, uh, early. Uh, <laughs> it, it would be oh dark thirty or so, and uh, because we don't have running water, showers, and all those wonderful things, it doesn't take long to get ready. 
jump in the car, and then we'd go to the site that we wanted to uh, do our glassing. So then we'd park the car, and then we'd, uh, and I'd say run up the hill, but we did, well, uh, Eric did run up the hill. Uh, and I was the sea anchor, and uh, I, I came up uh, behind him, uh, depending upon how far it was, minutes, <laughs> 10, 20 minutes behind him. Uh, but we'd get up to an area that he uh, thought would be a good area to uh, look down into the valley and see uh, where elk were, and, and uh, then we'd sit up there for maybe an hour or so uh, just glassing to see where the elk were coming out. And then uh, after that, then we'd develop a plan as to, well, how are we going to go after these guys? Uh, so that was pretty much how the morning would play out. And then, uh, you know, after we uh, developed our plan, then we would actually put the plan in, into motion. And so then we would hike down to the valley. And again, we're going from 11,500 feet-ish uh, down to about 9,500 uh, feet, so 2,000 feet drop in elevation. Downhill's not bad, uphill sucks. Uh, and then we'd get down into the valley. Well, when we get down into the valley, now we've got to try and find trails that are going to take us to where we are. And sometimes there are trails and sometimes there are not trails. When there are not trails, now we're doing bushwhacking, and that is much more difficult than following a trail. Um, so we generally uh, drop our gear uh, in a cache site and then mark it with GPS. And then we just walk off with our bows uh, and, uh, you know, a very light kit uh, in search of the area that we're, we want to uh, get to. And we uh, try our luck, and uh, at some point uh, it, it turns out that the with the blowdowns and uh, the the debris on the uh, uh, f uh, valley floor that, that there's just no way we can get to where the elk are and we end up uh, saying well okay this is not going to work for us and we end up going back uh, to the gear cache and now we have that 2,000 foot climb up to uh, the saddle then to head back to uh, camp. And that, that's sometimes how, how a day will go. So for everybody listening, you can probably tell we, we really went after it on this hunt. We pretty much pulled out all the stops. We were going deep. At times we were, well, heck, we were a good six miles from a road at times. Um, we, we were pushing pretty far, as far in as I felt comfortable that we would be able to get an elk out. Um, you don't have to go that far, but well, what do you think? We saw more elk further back. We went right. Yeah, we we would see elk. Uh, okay, we have a term in Wisconsin called road hunting. I think everybody's familiar with road hunting, and what it is is drive down the uh, fire lanes or two 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 tracks and uh, look for deer or look for you know game. Um. That's not, and that's, that's road hunting, you know, uh, up in the mountains as well. The elk have figured out that people drive down the roads, and so they don't hang out near the roads. Um, honestly, I had visions uh, of this hunt that when we would get back to camp at night, you know, we would, you know, cook dinner, and then we'd, uh, you know, go, uh, get ready to go to sleep. And I thought all through the night I would hear elk uh, calling, uh, and and bugling and things like that. 
we were uh, in the, I'm going to say, the last third of the elk season here in Colorado in this unit. And uh, I think the elk heard enough uh, bugles from hunters that they are not bugling at all anymore. We did not hear any um, elk bugling at night or anything like that. Eric uh, did try several times to uh, make calls while we were way back in the bush. Um, but, you know, the, the elk were not responding. Um, early more, I mean, when, when we'd get up, it would be early dark 30. As I said earlier, when we got back to camp, it was the sun had already set and uh, we needed lights to, uh, you know, get back. Uh, so we were spending all of daylight and some of the uh, dark dark hours uh, away from camp. Uh, you, you need to prepare yourself for the, that type of activity. So we were talking, you talked about uh, how quiet it was, and you, you expected the elk to be a little more vocal. And to be totally honest, I did too. I was not prepared for them to be as quiet. We talked... Uh, well, I told everybody about on our, I think it was day four when we jumped the six by six, about three, four miles back from the road. Um, we were just still hunting, moving quietly down uh, a trail that was all the way back there. And we were using cow calls. And I mean, heck, how, how close were we to the bull where he jumped from when we called to him, you know, like five minutes earlier? I mean, we couldn't have been more than 100 yards. No, I, I wouldn't think he was, and uh, they just were not responding. I, I, I sometimes think that uh, when you start to use, at least this time of year or this time of the season uh, in the in the unit that we were in, I I'm of the impression impression at this point, you know, again after the hunt, I'm of the impression that the elk hear someone. Uh, doing, you know, a bugle or something like that. And the elk are looking at one another and they're going, oh, here come some hunters. Yeah, that that was what it felt like. It was just, it really did feel like as soon as they heard it, I almost felt because when I came around that turn, I saw the antler tip shift a little bit. And I mean, a split second later, thing was out of its bed and busting down this this hillside. I mean, it was 60 degrees down. I can't believe they could run down that thing. But all I think the cow call did was say, hey, there's something coming from this hill over here. I should probably turn my head and look that direction a little bit. So when uh, whatever it is that pops up over that ridge, I can find out, is that actually a cow? And I can go say hi, or is that a person? And if it's a person, I'm going to run. But I, I think all we did was draw attention to ourselves and give them our location with the cow call. I don't think we did anything to help ourselves. Yeah, and... Uh when, when that bull jumped out and headed down, I mean, Eric calls it busting out. I, I call it crashing out. I mean, he was crashing through the woods. And uh, he, he was full tilt, and he was, he was going to the other side of the valley before you, you could think of it. I mean, he was just moving that, that, that quick. Um, and, of course, we're, you know, he, he, he is in his house, uh, his home. So he knows, you know, uh, where everything is and, uh, you know, so he knows the trails out and whatnot. But uh, it was not a graceful exit, I'll say that. Yeah. So we had one more close encounter with a bull. To get there, uh, 
we had to, well, I'm going to use the word climb through a couple deadfalls. How easy was it to, to get through deadfalls without making a whole lot of noise? Okay, so Eric is wearing stocking shoes, which essentially amount to, uh, what would I call them, surf shoes? Well, with for all socks, I'll explain socks this over to them. people. Yeah, go ahead. I, I haven't ever explained this. This is something I did. Uh, I used to just finish my stocks in socks. And uh, what I realized the first time I did a stock in the desert here in Southern California, where we have a lot of cactus and uh, all our plants really have spikes on them. I got really tired of pulling the spikes out of my feet. That got old real quick. So instead, what I did was I went online on Amazon and I found these, uh, I think they're called yoga slippers or pool slippers or something. They, you know, they come in all the fancy colors. You can get them in rainbow. You can get them in pink and purple and all that stuff. Uh, you can get whatever color you want. No, they come in black too. Hey, I even think you can find camel. But what it is, it's basically just a rubber sole that won't let the stickers come through unless you like really hit it perfect. So you still have that feel of the ground under your feet so you don't make a whole lot of noise. But at the same point in time, you don't have to worry about the rocks jamming you. You don't have to worry about the cactus spines jamming you up and everything like that. And then I take a set of wool socks that are about the same size I wear in my boots and I roll them on backwards. So you have that soft fuzzy stuff down. And I have found that that, I mean, man. Okay, well tell them, is it quiet? Oh, it's quiet, and uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm still into the hunting boots, so I did not go that far, even though I did have the uh, stocking socks. Uh, or the stocking socks, um, But I didn't go that far. But anyhow, uh, we went four miles, <laughs> and we took six hours to do this four-mile trek. Uh, so it, it, it was still hunting and uh, moving very slowly, but we're going uh, uphill through deadfalls, and then we're coming back downhill, also through deadfalls, uh, looking for where the elk may be bedded down. And uh, the only, the really redeeming factor of a still hunt, at least for a flatlander like myself, is that you take a step and then you wait a little bit. It's an opportunity to catch your breath. <laughs> because again, we are dealing with altitude right around eleven thousand feet, and uh, so take a step, and then you breathe deep, breathe deep, because it takes probably two deep breaths to get as much oxygen as you need when you're up there. So something that's important, I think, for people to understand too, and I kind of expected this going in, because generally speaking, when you find elk in one unit at an elevation band, you're going to continue to find them right. at the same elevation yep. band. And our experience, we saw what well, we saw probably 12, 13 elk over the course of the, uh, the hunt, the six days. And we plotted them all under the topo map because I wanted to see. And I think our low was 9,800 feet and our high was 10,4. So out of the 12 elk that we found, they were all within a 600 foot elevation. And, and most of them were right around that, that 10,000 mark exactly. So once you find the elevation that they're in, I mean, you, we could have told you, you know, so we were looking, when we were trying to stalk through these bedding areas, we were specifically focusing on the north facing hillsides 
and specifically where there were going to be benches because it was a lot of steep terrain. We knew they were going to be in the steepest, darkest stuff. So look at those topo lines. Anything that's moving left to right across your paper with it oriented north, and it looks like it's dropping down, so it's facing north. And then uh, stack those lines as close as you can together, and then try to find a bench in there where they open up just a little bit so it flattens out just a little bit. And that if that bench corresponds with the rough elevation band somewhere like like I was saying between nine eight and ten four that's you I mean we we picked out a bench in there and I mean oh look <laughs> it, there was a bull sitting right there and it was I, he was 80 yards from us and it was like well that that panned out pretty good <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, I think what uh, everyone needs to understand is that it, it depends on the time of year and uh, well, not that so much. It, it depends really where you are in the season uh, and, and what the climate is at the time. Uh, we talked to some locals uh, in, in, uh, in Colorado when we were coming down from one of our hunts and uh, they said normally this time of year they've already had a heavy snowfall. They've also had uh, hail to knock uh, all the aspen leaves down and things like that. Uh, and as you heard earlier on this uh, discussion, uh, that hasn't happened yet. And so the elk will come down once they start getting, uh, I'm going to say, uh, bad weather, you know, heavy snows or snow and frost and things like that in the upper elevations. That's what starts driving them down into the lower elevations. So, uh, if, if, if there's already been a heavy snow, they may not be at that 9,000 foot level. They might have dropped down to the 8,000 foot level. Um, so you have to know what the weather in the past has been, uh, because that also tells you where the elk may go. Yeah. So definitely the elevation that they're going to be at can vary. Um, you're going to see it both for, with weather. And then I, I mean, honestly, you're going to see it with pressure too. If there's a lot of pressure low down, they're going to push up, even if the weather's telling them to come down. Because what I was noticing is, generally speaking, at this time of year, I expect rut behavior. Um, not a whole lot of concern given to safety, just a lot more uh, concern with rut. But I think because of the amount of pressure, I mean, some of the some of the drainages we drove into, how many camps were we seeing? Yeah. Um, um. Yeah, we. I mean, one one area that we walked down, uh, there actually was, I guess they call it a spike camp, uh, where horses had uh, taken a group of hunters, well, a guide with horses, took a group of hunters down and uh, set up a base camp for them down in the valley. Uh, so, yeah, th those types of things are out there, and, yeah, you just need to be aware of that. Yeah, and, I mean, if you'd put... If you put a lot of pressure, the animals are going to react. I mean, there was a lot of pressure along some of the roads going in. I mean, heck, we went on the one, and like I said, I think I counted 16 RVs in like a three-mile span. And I mean, that's a lot of pressure for these animals. Like, that that's a lot. They're going to push back into the backcountry from that. Yeah, it, again, uh, and, and I mean, if you want to get back where the elk are, you, you're going to have to get off the road. Uh most people do not go back more than a mi more than a mile, 
And so if you're going to stay within a mile of the road, uh, yeah, your, your chances of success are, are probably going to diminish. Uh, the further back you go, the more opportunity there probably is going to be because nobody's out there announcing themselves uh, and, and, and whatnot. So where we got into the elk, I mean, I, that brings up a good point. We saw quite a few camps along the roads. I, I didn't run into anybody where we ran into the elk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't think, I mean, we were together most of the time, so I don't think you did either. Th- there was nobody out there. Uh, there was nothing stopping anybody from getting out there. We got out there just fine. Yeah, it, it, there were, yeah. I, I, okay, so again, a flatlander hunting in Wisconsin, I see hunters in a national forest quite often, and, uh, you know, you, you exchange pleasantries and things like that. Uh, where we were hunting, there, there were no other hunters, uh, and that's, that's great. Um, and that's really, I mean, if you want the opportunities, uh, you're, you're, you're going to have more opportunities if you go further back. But uh, don't uh, overextend yourself and always make certain that you are carrying uh, enough water because in the high elevations, you do tend to dehydrate uh, much quicker because the air is dry up there and every time you exhale, you're, you're giving off, um, uh, uh, your breath has got, uh, I, I want to call it water, but it's not really water, but you are taking uh, the water out of your system. So always make sure you're carrying, I'm going to say, I was always carrying three liters. Uh, I think that's enough, but uh, Eric is carrying a gallon. So there, what's the difference between three liters and a gallon? Well, a gallon is pro- probably better because it's better to have too much and not need it than to have too little and need it. Yeah, no, I like to carry water. I I mean, I've done a lot of hunting now in the in the desert here. We get hot. I mean, I'll carry two liters or two gallons at times, uh, just just to make sure I have enough water. But I wasn't going to go that heavy this time. Um, well, so I guess that that pretty much covers it. Um, before we sign off, though, any other parting words of wisdom, stuff you learned along this hunt that you want to pass along? I'm going to go back to uh, altitude. You, you, you just don't know what altitude will do. And, and everybody reacts differently. Uh, I, I can tell you that uh, earlier this summer, uh, I was in Glacier National Park, Yellowstone National Park, Tetons National Park. I was hiking uh, with my grandson on my back, uh, so about 30 pounds on my back, at right around 7,000 feet. It really wasn't that bad. So again, I was under the illusion that I was ready for this. And when we were hiking at 10,000 feet and I'm carrying 30 pounds in my pack, I am dying. So my, my words of advice are prepare for the altitude. If you can arrive a day or two early before you go on your hunt, it will, it will do a lot for you. Uh, it's not going to eliminate the issues with altitude, but at least you will start to acclimate. Um, the other thing is uh, you need to do the uh, uh, lunges and squats. and squats. Build up your legs. You, you have to do that. 
If you don't do that, you will be the sea anchor in your group. You don't want to be the sea anchor. I just want to piggyback real quick before we close this out on the last two days statement. I mean, we spent the first two days really just trying to figure out where the animals were. So it does pay to get out there two days early. You don't even need to carry the bow because, to be honest, it took us a while to figure out where to get into the elk. Once we figured out where the elk were, we got into them pretty quick, and we were in them pretty consistently. But, yeah, I mean, spend those two days, figure out your access points, figure out where the elk are, and just having those scouting days, it's, it's going to pay off in the end. Yeah, and with what Eric is saying, he's, he's not saying don't bring your bow with you when you go scouting. Um, because a lot of the scouting you're doing is road, road scouting, you know, road, uh, hunt, well, call it a road hunt. It, that's what it is. You're running down the road, looking for places to glass, have your bow with you. I mean, there is the outside chance that an elk could show up on the side of the road and you would like to have your bow with you, but just use those first two days really to, uh, look the countryside over and uh, that type of thing. Uh, that's that. That would be the thing I would say. Yeah. So last question here. Do you got the bug? You going back? We talked about how painful it was, but have you caught the fever? I, I think I. Uh, I think I might be addicted. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the most dangerous part about your first elk hunt. Is that's what I always hear. I think I'm hooked. Yeah, I, 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 I honestly uh, think I'm going to be doing this again. And uh, when we did get home, uh, my wonderful wife said, I think the next time you guys go, you should maybe. Uh, and so right there was the opening, and I know I'm going again. <laughs> so there you go, guys. That's what it's like to head out on your first Colorado elk hunt. And give that some thought and... And then we'll talk to you next time. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond Hunter Ed Podcast. And as always, if you have questions, please email us at questions at beyondhuntered.com. Or you can find us on the web at www.beyondhuntered.com.